0: Daddy, lady,
1: the book club of love. No, no,
0: no, no. Actual episode. Hi, Barbara Ann. Hi, Vera Elizabeth. Hi, Hi Jamie, Jamie Teresa. Teresa, Teresa Senna, Senna. Senna. Can I say your last name? Senna. 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 No, I I know your last name. <laughs> I met you when I was 18, 19? We met you. No. Oh, I met that you. Was at college. Okay, so we've known each other for a good five years now. Yeah. Yeah. We have
1: Jamie Teresa Senna with us today to help us review a book called The Five Love Languages the secret to love that lasts. I have things to say. It is a number one New York Times bestseller. It is by Gary Chapman.
0: And um, we've been trying to get Jamie on our podcast for like, I mean, you know, at least four years, right?
1: No, she did an interview. She did one of the um, first interviews, maybe the first interview that we did back during the pandemic.
0: Do you remember? Yes, about dating. And you're in town for a second.
2: I am. Uh, Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. I was going to say, long time listener, second time caller. Yes. Very, very excited to be here.
0: Thank you for coming to sit in my living room.
2: I like it in your living room. I'm really excited to talk about this book. (laughs) I have, I'm with Vera. I have a lot of things I want to say. did,
0: Did I pick this? I, this came up through or, some organic love. Like, I think I mentioned it and didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. So I thought, oh, we can buy it. Yeah, you're like, there's this book
1: called like the seven languages of likeness. And I'm no, we need to do a little more research on that one. So we picked up the book. And I think you made a comment on Instagram that you were into it. And I was like, well, you're gonna be sorry you said that. Because now you're coming on to review it with
0: us. <laughs> That's right. So it's a short book. We didn't have to suffer through it very long. I, I read it first and I liked it. I like the concept of the five love languages and I think they're helpful.
2: I mean, I, you know, I was looking at, um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is like how many times it was reprinted. So it first came out in I think it was a 92, which I feel like I don't remember people talking about love languages until way later, but it wasn't, um, it didn't show up on the New York Times bestseller list until 2009. So I think that there was clearly like, I think it had a write up and then all of a sudden people started pushing it. So I was surprised at the fact that it had been in the ether for a long time, but not as successful. And I think it's interesting because you can see some of those ideas feel real 1992.
0: Right.
1: And right. maybe
2: less like 2015 when which was the last time he updated it. Yeah, he there's like mention of Netflix and
1: I know he refers to a lot of things as sus. So, you know, it's like he's brought it up to to, to 2015 you said?
2: Yeah, That's I good. think.
1: And he, the first time was uh, 1952, did you say? Um, yeah, I think that feels
2: about right. He he did mention that um polyamory was kind of chuggy, but I feel like we're <laughs> we're jumping we're jumping ahead there. Um, you guys hate this book. I, I can don't, tell already. don't no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, I love that we're gonna talk about this because I feel like this book is to me is like a walking example of two things can be true there there is a lot of meat and there is a lot of a lot of Christian gravy. <laughs>
0: Okay, wait, wait. Can I address that first? Yes. So, Vera and I have, we like to look into who's writing our books and what the, what is it, the ulterior motive? What is we What do we call it?
1: Just, you know, the life experiences that brought you to, that, that you are bringing to this work.
0: So, this guy, he's a Christian, I believe.
1: He's a Baptist.
0: Oh, he's a Baptist. Okay.
1: An associate pastor.
0: Okay, okay. I don't know if Jesus is mentioned, but God is mentioned a lot, right? In Christianity and morals. Oh, Jesus is mentioned. Okay. There are certain parts that I definitely just skipped, skipped through. So that maybe explains that. But wait, wait, this just came up with me. And I think we need to talk about it. You know, there's there's so, you know, we're so aware of social justice and like how to be kind and inclusive. And, you know, how to fight when you hear um, people showing prejudice and you know I think most of the time I feel like I'm on the right side you know but I have time and time again put my foot in my mouth when I have been talking about religion I just recently just a couple days ago I had some friends over and one of them was talking about really having connected with the church when she was in high school and I just guffawed because the the idea of like loving Jesus is so foreign to me because I associate it with pain and prejudice and um, hate you know like there's a very extreme example of Catholicism in our family being extremely damaging. And then I just... I don't hear much good. I know that there are many, I mean, the Jesus had a lot of really sweet things to say. I was never raised with religion, so I don't, you know, you know, like so all I know, all I associate it with like 98% is is negativity. So, you know, I'm I'm so quick to put my foot in my mouth, and it's so offensive, and I find myself just embarrassing myself again and again because it's so ingrained in me, like someone who doesn't understand skin color that's different than theirs.
1: Well, I, I totally understand that. I mean, in high school, I think you and I did give Christianity a shot. We had two friends that were very into religion, and I went with them. I think you're with me. We went to a youth group, and they talked about how gay people were bad. And to me, that just shut down the conversation. Like, that that was my experience with Christianity, a lot of intolerance. I know that's you know, other people get other things out of religion. I, I don't think, as you said, we've gotten anything out of religion. In this particular instance, though, I mean, we can continue talking about that, but There's a very important reason why we need to address the fact that the person who wrote this is a Baptist associate pastor. Do you know what that is? What is it? Uh, They do not believe in divorce. They believe that divorce is sin. So everything in this book is geared to keeping you in your marriage. A divorce is not, not an option. So When I realized that, and it took me three quarters of this book to realize that, it changed the way I saw all the advice that was coming earlier. There's definitely good advice in this book, but when divorce is not an option, when divorce is sin, it makes the information that you're getting, um, it just colors it a little bit differently.
0: Okay. Jamie, what do you think?
2: I'm glad that you brought this up because I, you know, I have a sensitivity towards christianity in the way that you do and a sensitivity towards anti-christianity because my mom and i have some family members who are christians and mostly well-meaning well-intentioned but i i remember when we were growing up like when we were all first hanging out and we're like little goth babies and punk babies it's very punk rock to shit all over christianity and it was super fun but it it, it hurt a little bit because i feel like maybe some of what you're getting at Barbara is like the Christ-like, or Vera. I think you were saying this too, like Christ-like behavior is the beautiful part of Christianity that just seems to kind of go out the window. Like if the idea is that you're not intended to judge people and you're intended to like look at opportunities to see people in a different light and find different ways to connect with them and... that everything should be coming from a place of love and humility. Like I, I just think that's beautiful. Like how do you argue with that? And that's also not the Christianity that we exist in right now. So, I want to be mindful and self-critical about my reactions to some of the Bible stuff in here, because I do think that some of it comes from a good place. I I worry that there are areas in the book that that we we can talk about that pop up a little more misogynist than I would like to see from someone who's trying to keep people together.
1: And like I said, I I got through 150 pages out of 200 before I went, hmm, who wrote this? You know, so it was three-quarter sleigh, right? (laughs) I think anybody reading any book with advice or, I mean, I guess any, any book, anybody's art, you know, it is always a good idea to try and figure out where
0: this person might be coming from. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Are we good to jump, jump right into it? Or do you have any other pre-comments, Jamie or Vera?
2: You know, there was, I, I, maybe it's a pre-comment, it was in the acknowledgement. Yeah, okay. So yeah, when I was reading the acknowledgement, something jumped out at me. It said, if we want someone to feel the love we are trying to communicate, we must express it in their primary love language. And I, th- I thought that that was useful uh, to kind of highlight the push-pull of the different languages. I think you had said, Barbara, in an earlier episode, maybe someone was trying to give you their love language oh, that yeah. clearly didn't work for you. And and I went into this book thinking about that. And um, I actually had a list on the front of the book that said, what are questions I want answered if I think this book does a good job? Uh-huh. And they did. One of them was... Um, When do you speak your own language versus when do you speak someone else's? And, you know, I feel like that that's the key that that person was missing. The person that you gave the example of is is your language is how you express love and how you request love it might be different. It's like, I should be expressing to you in your language and if I need it, I should be requesting it in mine. Yes. Um, But it's really easy for people to say, my love language is blank so that's how I do it and if, if you can't handle that then you don't respect my love language. Like, well, I don't think there's only supposed to be one in an entire relationship and I feel like that that alone is like a really good example of a communication key that people struggle with in relationships you know dr gary chapman it d- does a good job at, at kind of stating that like that needs to be two different languages if it needs to be
0: yes yeah in fact you and i were talking about that and one. this is i think the genesis of this choosing this book was that you were like you were confused about that
1: Yeah, I said, well, what if, like, I like giving presents. Not always, but I like giving presents. And I said, well, what if, what if I want to give somebody a present? And you're like, well, you don't do that if that's not their love language. And after reading this book, I'm like, yeah, I understand. Because actually, gift giving is not particularly my love language. Like, I don't want a hundred little things. And that would, that would kind of make me anxious after a while if I got too much stuff. Although, it really depends on the person. If it's somebody who, like, never gives me anything, yeah, I would want to get something. So that's, that's where my head was at by the end of the book. The reason I, bring that up is because I still do not know what my love language is. Okay,
0: we're going to talk about that because I think I know what your love language is. And Jamie knows what hers is. And I know what mine is. The example that you were talking about, which I kept writing throughout this book, like narcissism, narcissism, like this book exists in a world where there's no narcissistic personality disorder. It's just generic man, generic woman having generic relationship and all the pathologies are not addressed. You know, like any book written before Five years ago, the the person I was talking about insisted on treating me with the golden rule, which is he will do unto me as he would have done unto him. So, how did that play out? Oh well, I mean the examples were <laughs> really, really pathetic. Like I would get mad because he wouldn't come home or call me, whatever. And he would he would say, well, I want you to have that freedom. So that's the freedom I'm giving myself. And then I tried to have a conversation with him. He said it was the golden rule. I was like, this is cuckoo crazy. But well, it's exactly what you're saying. And he clarifies that again and again. In this book is this, like you have a certain way way that you need to be treated in order to feel love and someone else probably has a different if you're in a partnership like I guess there's an example of opposites attracting so there's a very good chance that your partner does not want to be treated in the same way let's see what the five lung 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 languages are breathing in breathing out coughing phlegm
1: no loogies loogies you say phlegm I say loogies and um having your trachea crushed no like your lung gets crushed or like you get a poke collapse sorry that's what I was thinking um iron
2: iron iron thank you i I didn't want to correct anybody but i was like "Mm -mm,
1: i'm gonna say what the five are okay count them with me there's five of them words of affirmation quality time Mm -hmm. receiving gifts Mm -hmm.
0: acts of service physical touch
2: being horny
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh no what did you just say (laughs) you mean being horny within a marriage
2: (laughs) well yeah Okay, like a man, and, and I get horny because that's that's how God made me. <laughs> because you have too much seminal fluid. I wish I could. <laughs> no, 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 we'll get into that. Okay. Because dear listener, when when we think about our favorite parts of the book, I don't think anybody did not enjoy reading about seminal fluid in the middle of like what I think is otherwise surprisingly tender a lot of this advice. But oh, <laughs> Dick's got a blow at some point, and he needs to talk about it. <laughs> What is your love language, Jamie? So I took there. There's a handy guide at the end of the book
0: for men and women,
2: for separate, men and women
0: separately, because they cannot
2: be in the, even the same room. Mm.
1: If they're gonna fill this out, a sheet needs to be between them, that's all I'm gonna yeah.
2: say. Uh, yeah, I had to make sure I was menstruating first before I filled it out just so that I could be like as feminine as possible. I'm um keen. red tent. So I initially thought that my love language was acts of service, but I realized that it is I know they don't like you to have two, but it was very close between words of affirmation and quality time. I think a lot of it is because, for me, words of affirmation, I'm definitely not like a, you look so pretty today kind of words affirmation, not to shit on anybody who that works for, like, good for you. For me, it's very much about I have to have something be believable. And so that's where quality comes in. Because you could do something for someone, and that's a kind thing to do. But if it's bringing home flowers on Valentine's Day, that's not going to fit the, like, quality need for me. Whereas someone walking around and seeing an old book on – Orson Wells at a, you know, at a bookstore and then picked it up because they just know that that's something you like. And it was a Thursday like that. That's really great. And, and that kind of feeds into gifts, too. But I think it's it's the sense of quality. So words of affirmation. He talks about, you know, there's not just love languages, but there's dialects. Yes. And I wrote down a couple for words of affirmation, uh, encouraging words, kind words, and humble words. And I think for me, humble words mean a lot. And I kind of relate that to quality too. It's the sense of like who we are together. We're being like the most sincere, realist part of us. And and that that to me engenders trust. And, and so I think that's how that kind of goes together.
1: Can you give us an example of something that has been said to you affirmatively that just melted your heart, made you feel good?
2: It, it was interesting to do this because I... I'm someone who had been a serial monogamist my whole life, and then have been single now longer than I've ever been in my in my adult life. When, how long have you been single? Oh, I want to say four years now. I mean, with a little hiccup here and there that we she don't. She just care. did a weird little finger thing. I just guess, like yeah, yeah.
1: During, uh, I mean, two or three years of that was pandemic. Yes,
2: that's true. We were in a Steve Buscemi. And yeah, dating, not so much. But um, yeah, still, I mean, I definitely it felt weird to apply some of these things to the last person I dated because there's such a chasm now to think of it. It it almost felt silly to think about why am I thinking about this person I don't even speak to anymore. Like it just but he was the the most applicable example because he was someone I was with off and on for 10 years. So I was thinking not just in terms of him, but I, I, I think about a lot of times my platonic relationships and my relationships with my female friends, I have some of the most like moving non-romantic love stories with like the people in my life who do amazing things for me. And just even recently, I've, I've just accepted a job that's going to move me from the West Coast where I've lived pretty much my adult life and into and Manhattan and having people show up to say like they already know that I'm going to be successful and that they see success for me that kind of encouragement really really feels a lot or like just saying that like hey I admire what you do I think that's a tough thing to do and I'm and I'm really proud of you like I yeah I could dine out on that for weeks that's yeah. so nice.
0: We were just talking about this too I at had at a little dinner at my uh, ladies dinner at my house a week ago and we got onto the topic of just how valuable female friendships are and how I think we appreciate them even more now because when we were younger there's a lot of culture tells us is that you're, you're not friends with women they're competition and just how fulfilling that is to us now two of us are married and two of us were not married. And the two of us that aren't married, are like, we get so much out of these deep female friendships. And I think these love languages apply to platonic relationships as well. It's what people do to make you feel
2: good. Yeah. And he talks about in the book, he says, can that apply to children? Can it apply to, to single people? And I think that's, that's all true. Like a lot of what's in this book, sometimes like my response is, do y'all even just talk to each other so many times? Well, I just assumed because my mom vacuumed and so she hasn't been vacuuming for 10 years so I thought she didn't love me and I'm like did you did you ask her like did you just open your mouth and ask like oh, so much of this just seems like heartbreakingly like ships passing in the night in terms of communication even though they're married literally <laughs> by passing in the night I mean in the same bed <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's what we've what we've developed with you know our female friendships is we know what that absence is like and we're the biggest cheerleaders for each other and I think that I've realized now that I, it doesn't have to be attached to romantic love to be incredibly important. That, like romantic love will be the cherry on top of the sundae when it comes, but in the meantime, I don't know that I would be capable of liking anybody as much as I like all the ladies in my I life. Know.
0: I know, it's such a high bar. I've been single for, I guess, about as long as you. And before then, I was a, I was a dater. And then I also, I don't know, I'd have a couple of year relationships here and there. And I had female friends, but not like I do now. And the bar is so fucking high, the quality of my relationships. And we were talking about gaslighting in our last episode. It happens, I found more with men where they just can't be honest about stuff. If you had a girlfriend who, was, who talked like that, it would be, I know, the look on your face. It's like, can you imagine having a female friend where you just, you know that they're fucking lying. You wouldn't have that friendship is what I'm trying to say. Like that is so far below anything you would expect from a female friend. Our honesty and our vulnerability and all this stuff is like what is what makes our relationships. And so I think it's it's really difficult to find dude who can be at that level, you
1: know, unless they read this book.
0: Oh, okay. I've been I've been married for twenty years. I don't know if Blaine was like fibbing about like where he was. It would just be weird. Like it's so distracting.
2: But I I feel like if it was happening with friends, I mean, it's if it's someone at this age, because I think our friendships when we were younger, at least certainly mine. Very Felt very precarious, even yeah. if I was crazy, like crazy loved the person I was in a friendship with. It always felt like, oh, if something goes wrong, like that's the end of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we've invested so much in, in our friendships now that it's hard for me to imagine if that was happening, that my response would be anything other than, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, no, that that that, that actually is wrong and makes no sense. Are you okay? Like, what's going on? I, I, I just don't see... An environment where I would be afraid to, like, call it a friend and go, I have yes. no idea what's going on with you.
0: You would know that you have that that strength in your relationship. So whatever the reason that your friend was lying to you would probably be either a really good one or you that friend has hit a place where you cannot, you know, it's time to end the friendship. Yes, you're absolutely right, though, about younger relationships. And I I think it's maybe different for younger women now. But yeah, like you could piss someone off and you would stop talking. And that's just the way it works because we had no tools. But we have known each other for a very long time. I, as I said earlier, before we started recording, I only knew you to be in relationships because I heard about one guy, and then I saw you with another one for the entire time we were friends, except for the very end. And then you also had, like, really intense crushes. So even if you weren't, oh, if you weren't in a relationship, you really were thinking a lot about somebody.
2: Ooh, I sure did. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, it hurt like it like my <laughs> face is getting red because I just remember it was it was like this extension of like being a kid and like having a crush on like you know a movie star or something like when I really like somebody I just it felt like very all or nothing yeah uh-huh. like, this is it and it was devastating to me when it when it didn't work out and and now. Well now, yeah, I guess you ended up going out with one of the people that you were obsessed with, who you talked about nonstop oh <laughs> we I went out with him like as a like I met up with him, and I realized it was like a thing. are we talking about? Yes. <laughs> a musician. Oh, (laughs) we used to go see him play all over the place. I I remember, um, now we're really derailing, but I remember Barbara was definitely there. Vera, I can't remember if you were there, but it was the first time he actually took his shirt off. And we were so excited because we're like, this man bangs on oil barrels and carries like pipes. This is going to be everything. And I had really really intense crushes. I think I just like I was I was somebody who really drank the Kool-Aid of like movies show you what yeah a relationship was going to be like and it was supposed to be major and painful and emotional and exciting and it that did not work out well for me. Yeah, no my 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 love language at that time was just possess every brain cell in my brain and don't ever let me have to think about anything in my life or like how how unhappy I am and dealing with my own trauma and like can you just like take over for me and just be the only thing I think about that is a great
1: thing about crushes though they're fantasy you know and it's really hard when they when you realize they're fantasy
2: it sucks it really sucks wait Barbara you haven't talked about yeah. your love language oh, well
0: first of all I want to I've said this before and I'll say it again my love language is receiving gifts and I think this book explains it really well it is the idea in a nutshell that someone was thinking about me when I was not there. That is exactly what it is. It's not that the cost of the gift or what it is. It is purely someone was out about in this world. Because I have this, like, idea that I'm this invisible, you know, that I exist. Like, I can have great energy with somebody in the moment, but once they go away, I don't mean anything. That's, like, my fucked up business. And so, like, having a little something is and you know what my sister just my twinny just got me another gift that's because i'm great
1: okay i'm gonna (laughs) tell you what your love language is no well first of all i'm gonna tell you what my love language are okay it's word words of affirmation when i don't get any quality time when i don't get any receiving gifts when i don't get any acts of service when i don't get any and physical touch when i don't get any because every relationship i've had has been a little bit different and um i just want the thing that they're not giving me
0: okay i think what your um i think your love language is words of affirmation I think you really need, you love being heard and having that, that feedback. I do. I asked
1: Blaine what his uh, love language was, and he agreed that his was words of affirmation. And I can see that also with my child, words of affirmation. My child is amazing because when I give him a compliment, he says, thank you. And I hope he never loses that. He doesn't go, oh, but no, but you are too. No, he just says, thank you. And he really appreciates those words. (laughs) My husband really appreciates those words. I appreciate those words as long as I'm not As long as they're not bullshit, like back to what Jamie said, if it's quality, then it's good. When I heard words of affirmation, like, and I don't know why my brain went here because I've never had, I've never been in a relationship with somebody like this. But if it's just like bullshitty talk without anything behind it, then that makes my skin crawl. Just like too many presents when there's no real thought behind it would make my skin crawl. Just like all of these things I've seen actually used by narcissists with other with my girlfriends where I'm just like oh you got oh you got me a coffee too well fuck you because I know you're only doing this because you're gonna want something else later which turns
0: out to be true so that's how I feel I'm not thinking about it in those terms I'm thinking about it in terms of like you showed somebody a script that you wrote and somebody gives you positive feedback on it not like your hair is nice or whatever or like you're awesome in that case you are correct I, I don't know. But to me, that's more that's more valuable to you than anything else.
1: No, I think you're right. I think when I feel seen and that's expressed through affirmative words, I think you're I think you're right. I think out of all of these things, that's probably the thing I like the most.
3: And that was part one of Dainty Ladies reviewing the love languages. How many are there? Five. We have a couple more uh, episodes to come with our pal Jamie Senna. And if you want to see us soon, please come to let's see Saturday night. December 2nd, we're going to be performing Vera and I are going to be performing as Super Bell Twins at Peak of View, so just do a web search for Blonde Brunette Productions Events, and you'll be able to buy tickets online, and it's the last uh, Peak of View of the season, and maybe forever we don't know, it's going to be a very special night, so please come, and then also go to Stars in the Backyard if you'd like to see us with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Um, it's a benefit for for democracy and it's a very great event and you can selfishly enjoy yourself while saving uh, the fate of the United States of America. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and for sticking with us and come back in two weeks. We'll have our next episode up. Bye-bye.